Welcome to another edition of the Carbolane Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me is Paul. A Jameis. Not Paula. It's not going to get old ever. <laughs> like, it's really no, it's just... Too, too, it's too late. It yeah. did get old. No, that doesn't mean you're not going to stop. No, I'm going to beat that dead horse. <laughs> I'm going to That's kind of what we do. I'm going to Bob Bakley it. We'll see if he's actually listening. (laughs) (laughs) So, here we are, again, doing this thing. I mean, we're getting really close to one year now. We are getting close to one year, and I have to say, I'm pretty excited. We just secured our biggest guest yet. We sure did. That will be coming for you guys in... You'll probably get it in December, I think, huh? In uh, late November. Maybe. Yeah. We're recording on November 15th. Maybe even have a little cake for our uh, anniversary here. Yeah. So, Paul... We do have to throw our own birthday party, though. We do. It's my party, and I'll throw it if I want to. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, how do they get a hold of us to tell us we suck or that we should keep doing this thing or, uh, you know... Or to send us gifts. Yeah, I mean, we're turning one. Yeah. That's how we act. Yeah, should we... (laughs) pacifiers and uh, bottles all around uh, i don't know <laughs> yeah they can reach us at technical service at carboline.com jack's on twitter at jack underscore ctsp i'm at paul underscore ctsp so sitting here quietly horrified this entire time like i can't believe this is what my husband does for a living is my uh, lovely wife miss kate rogers she is also the color lab manager for carboline she was on episode two slash nine and uh in that episode we talked about the color lab specifically for carboline but we wanted to get a little deeper into some color theory just because there seems to be a lot of confusion out there so kate welcome to the show hey thanks for having me i know you're thankful for being here so excited so and for those of you since we're not a video podcast since the last time Kate was here, our studio has dramatically changed. Sure, it's in a whole other room. It doesn't sound like a cave in here anymore. No, yeah, it has, it has been a dramatic improvement. All right, so I guess to kick this off, Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about color theory? Okay, so we'll do just a very basic version. Yeah, 10,000 foot. The most basic version, you have to have three things in order for color to exist. Um, you have to have an object that's going to be illuminated obviously. Uh, You have to have a light source. There's no color in the dark. If you've ever noticed that, you know, when you're trying to wander to the bathroom at two o'clock in the morning without turning the light on, everything is in a grayscale shade. And that's because there's no color in the dark. What if I see color in the dark? Then you are magical or on drugs. (laughs) The third thing that's required for color to exist is for someone to be there to see it. And that's why no two people are ever going to see color exactly the same. It really is interpretive. Some people have a much better understanding of color. Their eye is more trained. Certainly the people in the color lab who've been colorblindness tested, this is what we do for a living. We're going to have a better color eye than most people out on the street. And then there's people that are color deficient. So they're going to see something drastically different than what everyone else sees. (laughs) (laughs) Who's color deficient? Me? Yeah. You're saying I'm color deficient? Hey, just because the dress is blue and black doesn't mean I'm color deficient. It's white and gold, man. It's white white and gold. Blue and black. Two people in this room have been trained. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey. 
one of the things as you're giving that scenario that that kind of reckons back is you know that old saying if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it did it make a sound so does that mean if i leave the room there's no longer color there if there is not someone there to see it, color does not exist. It is strictly a figment of our minds. <laughs> Who's on drugs now? <laughs> Getting a little meta. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we need a drum circle. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we have a very rudimentary idea of the basic things required for color, we should move on to some other topics as it relates to paint. So one of the things that we always have to deal with is what kind of pigments we use for the different systems that we go with. You know, we have to think about, you know, we're an industrial paint company. So some of the things we think about is, you know, is this going to be UV exposure? Is there going to be a chemical environment? You know, and after talking before, we don't really use any interior-based pigments in our industry, in our, right. in our selection. But they do have differing levels of stability as exterior I'm I'm doing air quotes, you can't see me, exterior rated pigments. Sure, there's higher performing pigments, there's lower performing pigments. In general, in the very broadest sense, for the more highly performing pigments, you're going to pay more money. So in some cases, that's not saying a lot because there are so many options in the different chemistries that even a little bit more for the higher performing pigment, it's still relatively cheap. However, particularly for the vibrant yellows and oranges, um, to get something that's going to be color-stable long-term, you're going to pay a lot of money. The typical pigments in that color space, they just don't perform as well, which tends to be why, for example, there's a vibrant yellow pigment that we use only in the highest-performing ultra-weatherable products because it's just too expensive to use in the other systems. It doesn't make sense. So what we're saying is that if we've got a product where the, the standard pigment is going to last as long as you would expect it to last, there's no reason to put that extra money into it. And that's when we're looking at these normal 10, 12, 15-year systems in normal weathering kind of exposures. But as people are starting to move towards wanting these 30-year weathering systems, and they're putting them into places like in Arizona and in Denver and in Texas and these areas that have these extreme solar radiation conditions, that's where we need this this high, high performer. Right. And you never want to put a pigment into your system that's going to outlast your binder. It just doesn't make any sense financially. Right. All right. It's that time again. You're listening to the podcast, but you're not. This is a commercial. It's time to remind you that uh, Carboline pays the bills for this thing. So we want you to know that we're going to be at the International Workboat Show in New Orleans, November 28th through 30th. Come see us in booth number 1300 and ask us about our new CarboZinc 608HB. It's a fast, dry, high-build organic zinc. Once again, come see us at the Workboard Show in New Orleans, November 28th through 30th, booth 1300, and ask us about CarboZinc 608HB. Back to the show. Welcome back. Hey, (laughs) I I was working on a question in my head, but like also like a nerdy reference, and it just quite didn't get there in time. You could just cut out the nerdy references. I was going to say something along the lines of if you need light to see color, but color pigments fade over time because of light. Does that mean they vaporize like the dude who leans into the ark at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark? (laughs) Boom! Got there! I got it! Came around! Oh! Yes! I'm so sad to be married to you right now. You probably should be. And everybody, just let it be known, when Jack started this, he said Kate and I were the nerds. 
Fact. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but no, like, for real, what happens when these color pigments break down? As they're exposed to the radiation, as, as the sun beats down on it or light beats down on it, it really does start to break the bonds. And as those bonds break, it's that level of energy, which is what gives us the color. So it's, it's when, the soul, when the sun hits it and it reflects off, there's a level of energy that's reflected. When those bonds break, it's a new level of energy, which basically makes them go to a different color, usually ending up in a white is where they end up with. Everything is going to turn white if you leave it out in UV long enough. Yep. And that's the, that's the chalking effect that we see. And basically what you're seeing is, and I, I always get this confused, white is the reflectance of all light and absorption of none, and yes. black is the absorption of all light and reflectance of none. Yes. So that's what we're seeing when it turns white. Black surfaces heat up in the sun. Right, because they keep it. White surfaces tend to stay. Which is why you see like roofers moving more and more to white coatings for for roofs as opposed to the traditional like black tar coatings that they would put on top of these flat roofs and and such. Right. That reflectance value helps to keep your surface a little cooler. So I guess let's bring it back around real quick. I know at the beginning we kind of started off talking about the white and gold dress or the blue and black dress Jack brought up. Um, the the internet sensation yeah there so kate can you tell us a little bit about to my understanding that effect is commonly known as and i say commonly it's a small circle of common of metamorism meteta what (laughs) (laughs) so metamorism can you tell us a little bit about how that how we see that how that affects color sure so metamorism is a phenomena where Two colors look the same under one light source, but they look different under a different light source. Typically at Carboline, we match to daylight because we make industrial coatings, which are typically applied outside. So that's our standard. We have a light booth in the color lab where we check all of our color matches visually because looking at something in the daylight is going to be significantly different than looking at it under the fluorescent lighting in the office. So when two colors are metameric to one another... It'll be a perfect match in daylight, but under the fluorescent lighting, it's two completely different colors. This comes from an actual physical difference between the pigments that are used. So chemically, they're different. Structurally, they're different. And so they reflect and absorb the light differently. So it just so happens that in the daylight, those two colors, those two samples will line up perfectly under the the points that it needs to in the daylight, whereas under any other kind of light, whether that's fluorescent or incandescent, halogen, the colors just align differently. Mm -hmm. And so we see this a lot with our yellow bases that we use in RTS for the 134HG, 8845, 8215, where the pigment that we use in that yellow base is just structurally different than most of the pigments we use in dry grind. So under the fluorescent light, one will be orange colored and one will be lemon colored but in daylight they are the same color it can be a drastic difference it really can and one of the things that affects that is like we talked about a minute ago it's the energy from the light source that we that we get and if anybody's been to you know your local hardware store and you know you go to buy a light bulb you bring it home it's just the wrong color when you get it in the room sometimes if you've ever walked in that room and you'd be like something's just not right here i like everything try looking at your light bulbs and if you go back to Home Depot, Lowe's, wherever the hardware store is that you go to, 
look at that wall of light bulbs, and they're going to tell you different wavelengths that all of those lights are at. And that's going to tell you how warm or how cool they are. And it's, it's essentially a measure of how much energy is coming off of those lights and how much, when it hits your colored surfaces, what it's doing to that color, how it's reflecting off of it or being absorbed into it. There you go, nerd. I mean, I was going to say something about, sure, your light, light bulb it bothers you if you're a crazy person. Um, <laughs> we have a daylight shade bulb in our living room that makes my husband crazy. That's true. It does. It does make me crazy. I don't know who that guy is. So it is it, at our house. I am much more the the one critical of the light bulb colors. But at, I don't know what four lifetimes ago, I worked for a colorant company, and so I see those colors very differently than my wife does. They have much more of an effect on me. Even to the point of we had a house, the previous house we lived in, we disagreed over the color of the house. I said it was green, and she said it was gray. That was a very light color, but but she was still wrong. I've been on the other side of that argument. The wrong side? No. The different side. The wrong That's what side. I said. The wrong side. Right. The, the black side. and blue side. I don't care what you people say. <laughs> you know, what's that thing where you can, people get so dug in in their beliefs that you can show them logical explanations as to why they are wrong and they, they still dig they into their beliefs. Yeah, that's me right now. <laughs> that's because you're wrong. With my gray dining room. It's blue. Great. Anyway, that's enough for now. And uh, Kate, thanks very much for coming in. It was a pleasure. You could say it less sarcastic. As right? always. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Monday. <laughs>